You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everybody. On this episode, we mark the 40th anniversary of Thurman Munson's death in a plane crash August 2nd, 1979. The story is a tragic and well-known part of Yankees history. The homegrown, gruff leader of the Yankees, 1970 American League Rookie of the Year, 1976 American League MVP, the first Yankees captain since Lou Gehrig, and the catcher of the 1977 and 78 Yankees World Championship teams. His love of flying helped him get home to Canton, Ohio for off days like it did that August 2nd. Munson died in a crash while practicing takeoffs and landings at the Canton-Akron Airport. Munson's number 15 is retired and his locker stayed empty at the old Yankee Stadium for the next three decades until the new stadium opened. As the anniversary neared, I spoke last week to Munson's teammate, battery mate, and friend, Ron Guidry. The great lefty pitcher on those same championship teams joined the Yankees in 1975, and over what turned out to be a short period of only four years, he grew very close to Munson. In our conversation, I spoke to Guidry about building that relationship with Munson on and off the field, what made him a great catcher and teammate, and about what Guidry and the team were feeling that day when they found out their captain had died. Also part of the story is the game the Yankees played in New York on August 6th. That morning, the entire team was in Ohio for Munson's funeral. Bobby Mercer gave the eulogy. Later that night, the team was back in New York for a game against the Orioles, and Mercer lifted the team to a victory that is often replayed on the Yes Network Yankees Classics series. Mercer drove in all five runs, a three-run homer in the seventh inning and a walk-off two-run single in the ninth for a 5-4 Yankees win, one of the most emotional days and nights in Yankees history. The starting pitcher that night was Ron Guidry. For the story behind that gut-wrenching week and the stories of months in the catcher, how he got the most out of Guidry and other pitchers, take a listen now and pay attention to how Munson was the original Crash Davis when it came to mound visits during a game. Speaking last week from his home in Louisiana, here is my conversation with Ron Guidry. The first time I ever met him, actually it was when, uh, when I got called up. Shea Stadium. We were uh, that was '75. Of course, the Yankees were playing at Shea because Yankee Stadium was being rebuilt, uh, refurbished, whatever you want to call it. Um, and that that was the first time when um, you know I went into the dugout to meet the manager who was uh, Bill Verdon, and then he told me to go to the bullpen. I went to the bullpen. Uh, we were playing a doubleheader against Boston. Um, you know, I got called into the game, and and you know when I when I walked out to the mound, he came up to the mound, and you know he introduced himself, and you know he just said, "What do you throw?" And I said, "I throw you know fastball slider." So he said, "Okay, I'll give you one and three. He said, "I'll just go second sign with the guy at second base." Okay, fine, and uh, that was it. I mean, we you know we we didn't really have a chance to. You know, uh, have a cup of coffee and talk about everything <laughs> that we were going to do. Yeah. It happened. It happened real quick. You know, at the beginning of my career, you know, it's, I was supposed to be a reliever. I came out of the bullpen, so it was a little different. Um, I wasn't used a lot. Um, you know, uh, Billy didn't trust rookies. Uh, you know, in, in tight situations. So um, 
all of a sudden, you know, uh, like a year and a half after I'm, I'm up in the big leagues, uh, because of injuries, I'm stuck into the starting rotation. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you start learning how to pitch as a starter. And then you have him, you know, behind the plate. It's one of the reasons why you, you transform yourself into somebody who you don't know until all of a sudden you're the ace of the staff. You have the ability, but you have to be able to use it correctly to, so you can do your job. And if you, if you have a guy like him who's, he's so intelligent as a catcher, you know, that's what you gotta understand. It makes my job easier. So when you talk about what you have to do as a pitcher, you know, understanding the pitches that you want to throw and everything else. When, when you, when you, when you get next to him, you can't explain, you know, to anyone that you'd really be able to outguess him or outmaneuver him or outcall him in a game. He's as good as they have. So for me, it just made my job a lot easier. All I had to worry about was making sure I saw the sign. If I saw one, I gave him a fastball. If I saw three, I gave him a slider. And it's actually what he told me, like, the first, the first game that I had to start, it was an emergency start. If I remember correctly, we had traded to, uh, we traded Doc Ellis to uh, Oakland for Mike Torres in 77. Mm-hmm. And Torres flew from uh, Oakland to Montreal. So the, the night that he was supposed to be in New York to pitch, he wasn't. So when I was getting ready to walk out into the bullpen is when Martin told me that I'd have to make a, a start because I was really the only guy that they had to make the start. We, uh, the bullpen was, uh, other than Sparky, who was the closer, we had, we had played a couple of extra inning games, I think, uh, before, or the games were long, but we used a lot of our pitchers in those games before. So, uh, Martin said, you know, you gotta pitch, uh, you, you gotta try to give me as many innings as you can, because he says we need some innings, uh, you know, and you're going, okay. Um, so, when I when I I walked out into the bullpen, I warmed up, and when I came back in, he was waiting. More, uh, Munson was waiting for me in the bullpen, and he said, "Look, I know we didn't have time to talk." He said, "Look, just trust me." He said, "When you if you see me give you a one, give me the best fastball you got. If you see me give you a three, give me the best slider you got." He said, "I'll worry about the rest." And then you're going, "Okay, fine." And and that's what he was like. You you get to throw to this guy who is is as far as a catcher, when he calls a game, you know it's probably gonna be as good as anybody could call a game. When Gator, when you have the confidence to do that with him, and you talked about his intelligence behind the plate, mm-hmm. what what gives the full confidence? What is it that you see from him behind the plate that he's seeing, whether it's about hitters or calling a game, or is it simply his his persona and his confidence that he displayed to you that said, yeah, you know what, this guy knows what he's doing. I'm just going to trust him. Well, I would I would. That's what it got to be. 
when, when you asked me earlier about what it was kind of like, what made him Munson, and what made our friendship grow. Our friendship grew because he he has to understand how every pitcher is made physically and mentally. There were there were pitchers on the team always. They're always like that. There are pitchers on the team. The matter they get, the better they throw. Okay. There are other guys that you have to more or less coddle along and tap on the rear end and keep telling them that they're good, so they so they get good. So they that because that's how they are. It's the mentality. It's inside. So you know, like when when he's learning how to catch me, okay, and he's seeing what I can do uh, physically, then he starts playing mentally. You know, can I get this guy to be better if I do? I have to do. I have to pat him on the rear end, or do I, I make him mad to get his best? And he learns how you are, so that way, when it gets time for certain things to occur, he knows where he needs to go. And over the long haul of pitching to him, that's how that's why our friendship grew. He knew exactly what he needed to tell me, because like, I mean, you know, you you sit down, you watch a game, okay? Do you know exactly what is said between a pitcher and catcher every time that he walks out to the mound? No, because you're upstairs watching the game. You can only imagine, well, I guess they're talking about the situation. It's not all the time, because there might be some times when he walks out there to tell you something. He might come out there and crack a joke (laughs) to make you laugh, to ease the situation, because he knows it's getting a little tough. You might need a break, but he's not going to walk out there and tell you, you need a break, it's getting tough. So he walks out, he either cracks a joke, or he tells you something that really gets you upset. You try harder to get out of the inning. But that's what he wants. Okay, that's what he wants. But that's how he knows he needs to to get to you, by doing one of those things. Do you remember one of those instances, Gator, where, you know, uh, whether he made you laugh or whether he fired you up or whether you're wondering what, you know, what he's doing out there? Oh yeah, I mean, there were times where um, uh, you know you you. It's not always your fault either, you know. Like if you if you walk a guy, okay, but then then you hit you hear you hit a you throw a, a great pitch, it's right to an infielder and he drops it and you it, it's an error. Okay, so now instead of having a potential double a double play, you you got two runners out on base with nobody out okay so you know and you walk the next guy or the next guy bloops a hit or something happens but all of a sudden you're faced with runners in in scoring position you know you need some outs or you need a strikeout or something and you know he he'd he'd take opportunities like that you know to 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 go out and he, he there's no telling what he would say Okay, I gave up a home run one time. I know it. He came out to the mound, and it's just a solo home run. Okay, mm-hmm. it's just a solo home run. It's a strike. I'm not. It wasn't a ball that I threw. I'm not. I'm not having trouble throwing pitches, but I just throw a pitch. But it's really not the best fastball I have. But it's a strike, and a guy hits it out. Okay, so he walks out to the mound and he tells me he goes, 
anything that traveled that far should have had an airline ticket attached to it. <laughs> and he turned around and he walked back. You know, so I think he's going to say something like, you know, I missed the pitch, which I knew I did. You know, I threw, it was right over the middle of the plate. But I've, I've thrown a lot of pitches right over the middle of the plate that guys haven't even hit. You know, it just, this guy hits it. He hits it out. He hits it far. But now what he wants, by coming out there to tell me that, it just ticks you off. So now you start throwing harder. But it's what he wants because he knows the fastball that I threw probably wasn't the best one that I had. He just wants to make sure that you you, st- you stay on top of your game. But he would do things like that, yeah. He, he came out one time, too, and he asked me about if I ever noticed how clouds make different formations. You know, and I'm going like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he says, well, look at that cloud right there. It looks just like that pitch that you just threw that went out the park. <laughs> you know, things that he would say just to get you up back on your game. What You know, the image that I think a lot of fans have of him is very gruff and surly because he portrayed gruff. that to the media. Gruff, yeah, yeah. gruff, yeah. But you, <clears throat> you have to understand how much he wanted to win. His desire to win, but the, if... If you saw him before the game, because when you look at him, he's on the field. Mm-hmm. But if you saw him before the game, he looked like a mummy. He was taped from the ankles almost to the neck. Wow. I mean, he was bruised, battered, sore. I mean, he had tape all over the place. And, it, it you know, he played with, he played with full muscle. You know, he never, he never did not play. Did, uh, did you ever fly with him, Gator? Yes, I did. Yeah, in his plane? Yeah. Yes. What do you remember about that? Well, <laughs> the thing that I remember, it wasn't him, but we went to Seattle, and, and um, he used to um, uh, rent, or I don't remember, but anyway, he'd go to the airport and and uh, charter, a, a, you know, like a, a, a Cessna or something, a twin engine or a single engine uh, plane, and He'd fly to get his hours, mm-hmm. and he'd have an instructor with him. And they, and you know, in around Seattle, you could always fly like uh, Mount Rainier and Mount Hood, and mm-hmm. you know some of those peaks in in and around Seattle and and the Rockies up there. And I don't remember. I don't think he ever flew across the border, but flying around Seattle was beautiful. And he used to do that quite often. So. I went with him a couple of times flying around, you know, uh, during the summertime. But, the, you know, the mountains are still covered with snow. It's beautiful. And I remember going out one time, and he had an instructor. And the instructor is grading him. You know, that's that's what it's all about when you charter one of those planes and you get the instructor. Mm-hmm. He actually flies with you, and he grades you. And, and anyway, we're flying and it's it, you know everything is going it's nice and easy and everything and all of a sudden the instructor just reaches and he just like shuts down the engine hmm. or feathers the whatever you want to call it you know but the prop the you know it just went it like turned off yeah <laughs> well what he want what he's grading is he's grading Thurman's awareness you know uh, to you know, what's wrong? Something's yeah. wrong. You know, yeah. the plane loses altitude or whatever the case may be. 
But the funniest thing is I'm sitting in the back of the, you know, behind the, uh, in the passenger seat. And uh, when he shut the thing, you know, the front of the plane just drops. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when you're sitting in the back over there and you're enjoying <laughs> the ride and all of a sudden the plane just starts dropping, you know, you, you, it, it's not the greatest feeling in the world. <laughs> well, all, all Thurman did was just kind of like check and all of a sudden, you know, he just re, re I don't know what he did. I don't know if he restarted. He just pushed the throttles up. But, you know, he he accelerated again and the plane takes off. But that's what the that's what the instructor's doing. Yeah. He's grading him. Well, for me in the back, I reached over the seat and I, gra- I grabbed the instructor by the neck and I said, you're not going to be doing that again, okay? Because <laughs> if you do it, if you don't tell me the next time, I will choke you to death. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it was fine. I mean, you know, it was always good. I mean, we there were several guys that went with him. Besides being your teammate and your friend, you guys all had this experience with him then too. Some Some of you had flown with him. So when you hear about what happened on August second, nineteen seventy nine, you know, do you, do you remember? I'm sure you do. Do you remember yeah. where you were when you heard the the news and and what had happened? Well, we were home in New Jersey, Bonnie and I, and, and uh, you know, the, it was raining, or it had rained, but um, we we had an off day, and we had flown in from Chicago and and that was the whole thing he had he had flown his jet to Chicago because we had an off day the next day mm-hmm. and he was going to fly from um Chicago to Canton mm-hmm. to spend time with his family and then he'd fly back to New York for the game and uh we were home it was misty it was kind of nasty and the phone rang and and you know for some reason I I didn't answer the phone often you know in the house cuz we didn't have cell phones yeah. So you, you had your house phone, and the phone rang in the house, and I answered the phone, it was Mr. Steinbrenner, and, and he just told me what happened. You know, and he said we were going to have a meeting, you know, he everyone should go to the ballpark. You know, everybody was being told to go to the ballpark, um, like at 3 o'clock, at 4 o'clock, you know, like a regular time that you'd get to the ballpark mm-hmm. for a game. And we were going to meet, in this, and he, we were going to discuss what was going to happen for the next couple of days. So, um, you know, it's something that you know you just you can't you don't you don't really believe it's happening until you get until you know you get there. What was that meeting like when you guys are all there together? I don't, I don't, I don't recall anybody saying anything, sweetie. I, wow. I don't think anybody said anything. The only one that was talking was Mr. Steinberg. Mm. You know, because he, we were gonna, he was gonna charter a flight, and we were gonna go to the services, and um, then we'd come back, and we had a game. You know, the night that we were coming back, I don't remember yeah. when. Yeah, I, I really, you know that. That's kind of like all a blur. I don't remember anybody saying anything. You pitched that game. The game. The game yeah. when we came back. Yeah. Yeah. What well, you guys had played a couple of games, you know, before that, and then the services are on 
on the 6th, on August 6th, it's a Monday, and you guys have a, a night game against the Orioles. So right. you flew to, to uh, Ohio for the services and then flew right. back and actually had a game to play. What was that day like? It's like when, when, when I, I think I've said it in the past, you know, it's a game that you go out and, you know, like for me, I, I, you know, I, uh, he never came into the bullpen to catch you warming up. Okay, he always waited in the dugout. And I, I, I took my routine throws at the bullpen. Um, you know, but it's it's on your mind. It's It's a game that you pitch that you really are not into the game as a pitcher. Mm-hmm. You know, when I leave the bullpen, I'm thinking about the hitters. I'm thinking about what I have. It's a game when I left the bullpen. I wasn't thinking about the game. It just, I, I didn't, it's not that I didn't care about it. It just didn't seem as important yeah. as all of the rest of the games. Yeah. How, how did you get through the game? I mean, you're... Well, yeah. you know, the, the, the hardest thing for me was... Um, when we, uh, you know, you make that long walk from the bullpen, you get in the dugout, and you know, customarily, when I when I got in the dugout, he was waiting for me to see what we were, you know, how, because he always asked me the same damn thing. You know, he had always teased me. You, you throw two pitches. You throw a fastball. You throw a slider. How, how bad or good could you feel? <laughs> okay, so he's always waiting, and he'd always ask, "How you feel?" Uh, you know, I feel great. Okay, that means, okay, in the bullpen, I saw that I was throwing pretty good. I, had, I thought I had good velocity, and my, my, my slider was sharp. Okay, uh, I feel okay. Okay means, well, my fastball is a little, it's not where I'd like it, and the slider's not where I'd like it, okay? Or, if, you know, if I, if I didn't feel great and I just would look at him, he'd go, oh, God. <laughs> I wasn't do you know, but but the thing was, he was always waiting for me. Mm-hmm. And as I'm walking across the field and I'm looking in the dugout, he's not. I know he's not going to be there. Yeah. Okay, and it's it it was hard. And I don't know if you remember what happened, but um, we had a young guy that we had called up from AAA who, who was with us, Brad Golden. Yes. Well, what they did was when I went out and they played the national anthem, Brad stayed in the dugout, and the home plate umpires stood, um, you know, like two and two. They had two umpires on the on one batter's box, two umpires on the other side of the uh, home plate on the batter's box, and home plate was empty. Yeah. So. As I stood on the mound, you know, normally when I walked out, they started to play the national anthem. Because all I did when I walked out, I walked out, I picked up the ball on the mound, I stood behind the mound, took my hat off, they played the national anthem. You put your hat on, then you turn around, okay? And you walk up on the mound. Okay, well, after they did all that, so when I turned around and I stood on the mound and the four umpires were standing where they were with the empty middle it's when it really hit me that it would never be the same again wow the game that i would you know the game that i love the game that i'm pitching 
it'll never be the same. I will, I will be alone now. You know, I had that feeling like it, it wasn't the, it wasn't the greatest feeling in the world. And, and the, for the rest of the game, like you're just going through the motions. I'm throwing, but I'm, I don't think that I, I was thinking about what I normally think about, okay, up and in, low and away. Slider low and in, slider away, slider in the dirt, fastball. You know, I didn't think about all those things. It just didn't seem relevant. As you get through the game, I mean, what do you remember about Brad Golden in that spot? That's an awful spot to be in to have to come up. I mean, he caught you that night. But, you know, the thing is, you know, he just called pitches, I threw him. Whether they were right or wrong, I threw him. That's how the game was, yeah. okay? And he, But he's trying. I mean, I know, I know who he is. It's not like I didn't know who he is. I mean, we, we were, he had, we had him in spring training. So I know who he is. And he's a good catcher, okay? But he's not my guy. Yeah. Okay. So if, if there would have been an instance where I'd have, I'd have, I'd have just been throwing to him in the game with Munson sitting in the dugout, I might have been thinking about if, if, if that's what he would have called or not. Yeah. Okay, so I, I know what happened was um, I think I gave up four runs fairly early in the game. Mm-hmm. So you know, all of a sudden, you're what, what you're thinking is it's four to nothing. It's getting late in the game. You know, Martinez is pitching good. You know, and and the game really means nothing to you. And then all of a sudden, Mercer hits a home run. Now the game is four to three. And it's not as far out as it is to winning this game. And then all of a sudden, what pops into your mind is what he would have told you if you'd have been pitching. Okay? Because if I'd have been pitching and he'd have been catching Mm -hmm. and I'd have been losing four to nothing, he'd have probably been out to the mound two or three times chewing my butt out. And when we got to four to three, what popped into my mind was him sitting in the dugout and saying something to the effect of, okay, we got, we can win this game. Now you got to bear down. Let's go do your job. You know, and all of a sudden now the game changes for me. Okay. So now I'm pitching for, with a purpose now. And there's, I'm thinking more about the game. Now you're going out there with a different mindset, which you know, deep down inside, He's watching you, okay? And he's still ticked off that you're not doing your job. <laughs> so that, that's, that's kind of what happened to me in the game. You know, it started off where you're just, not, you, you're just not really thinking about the game itself. And then all of a sudden in the game, something happens, it changes, and then you immediately think about what he would be doing if he'd be here. You know, the game's known as, as kind of like Bobby Mercer's game because, as you talked mm-hmm. about, he hit the three-run homer in the seventh inning. That Well, he drives fourth... in all the runs. Yeah. Okay, and he gave the eulogy that morning. Yes. You know, I mean, it was like Bobby Mercer day. Yeah. But, you know, if Bobby would be here also and you'd be talking to him, then you'd see how the relationship between him and Thurman were. Because, you know, you're talking about um, two guys who had – Played in the '60s yeah. with the with the Yankees. You know when they when they kind of all started to 
you know, all of the great Yankee guys in the 60s started to go out. Mercer was there. Their relationship was very close because they they kind of like started together. They 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 kind of got off on the, the they kind of got off on the same bus at the same playground. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, for them for Mercer to have that date, it was fitting. Okay, it, it, like you know, we all like you said, you you referred to it as Bobby Mercer Day. That's what we all thought too. It was just fitting that Bobby had that great of a game. Gator, do you remember what the like the aftermath right after the game was? I remember I've talked to Ken Singleton, who was on the Orioles and and hit yeah. a, he hit a home run that night. And you know the right. Orioles are going to go on are having a great season. They're in first place. They're going to go on to win the pennant uh, right. later that year. And he he told me that he remembers sitting there as you know after Mercer's double wins the game in the ninth, and he said you know if. If you're going to lose a game, I guess go, I guess it's okay. It. I guess it's okay to lose that day, that game, because it was yeah. it was meant to be. Do you remember what because, any of the immediate aftermath yeah. was in your clubhouse? Well, everybody was just ecstatic. It just seemed like it was um, it was meant to be. You know, because of what we had gone through. And and when you think about him knowing how much he wanted to win, it was just fitting that we won that game like that. And you know you had Mercer, uh, you know, being the star. All of that culminating in a great evening, the way to end a day. The day started off somber, but it ended happily. You know, it's it all of that kind of wrapped up in in. In a, a neat little package, it just seemed like this is the way that you know fairy tales start and end. Yeah. When when you think of Thurman Munson, you know, so there's always so much sadness when his name gets brought up at the ballpark, and you know, we talk about it every year, uh, many times, not even just on the on the anniversary date. But I remember Greg Nettles one time telling me a story. He was asked, like, what is it about Munson that makes you laugh? And he told a story about being with the superstars on ABC, and you guys are playing the Dodgers, and it's a competition, and everybody is all geared up for it. And Thurman is in the swimming event, and he's all so fired up, but he can't really swim, so he's sinking like a stone and losing the race. And it may, it's something that makes Nettles laugh when he thinks about it. What makes you laugh when you think about Thurman Munson? What are, what's the, what are the happy memories that you have where you can just you can allow yourself to think the happy ones and, and, and something funny? Well, for like for me, um, I was pitching a game one night, and I remember, um, you know, there's always sometimes, you know, how things things can get so tense, so tight, so melodramatic. Okay, I'm pitching a game one night, and and things are things are getting heated. I don't remember what it was for. I think it was during the '78 season. I'm not sure. But things are tight. There's, you know, I'm, the uh, the game is could be like nothing, nothing. It's getting late in the game. Uh, you know, you, if something happens, and and all of a sudden he he calls, he, he gets up, you know, and um, he he's looking. I can see him looking at at the. 
outfielders, infielders. I'm, I see him looking at the game because, you know, as a catcher, you're the only one that gets to see everybody at one time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? Yeah. I, I got my back to the outfielders and infielders, but he's looking from the other way, and he's looking at everybody else in the front of him. So he's surveying the field, and it's something that I know he always did because he knew just about everything that was going on at one time, okay? And I, I can see him surveying the field, okay? So I get up on the rubber, I look in for the sign, and I check in there, and there's a runner at first base, okay? So with a runner at first base, the catcher just gives you one sign. He doesn't have to flash signs because the runner's not at second. So he's, he continues to give you one sign. So, so I look in for a sign, and all of a sudden, I see him wiggle his fingers. Now, when you wiggle your fingers, that usually means a changeup. So I don't throw a changeup. <laughs> so I, I'm looking in, and I see this changeup, and I step off, and I call timeout. So he kind of jogs out. He goes, what's the problem? I go, months. I said, you gave me a changeup. I said, I don't throw one. And he just looks at me goes, oh, crap. He said, I forgot. He said, you're not him. And I'm going, what are you talking about him? He said, I thought you were somebody else. And he just runs back to the, to the he just runs away. I think what he was thinking about was, you know, this would be a good time for an off-speed pitch to get a ground ball, to get a double play. I I got a feeling that's what he was thinking. But he thought I was somebody else that (laughs) threw a changeup. But I don't throw a changeup, (laughs) Muntz. But that's, you know, that was like him. That's what he would do. You know, uh, have you spoken to Goose yet? If you'd be talking to Goose like you're talking to me, what Goose would tell you would... Thurman would go up to him when uh, when he'd come into the mount, or, you know, when he'd come into a game. Munson would always go up to him and ask him, especially at the beginning of his career in '78 when he came to us. Goose struggled mightily when yes. he came to us in '78. Yes. Okay. I mean, he couldn't get anybody out. And if you ask Goose why we were 14 games behind Boston that year, he'll tell you because of me. Yeah. That's what he always says. Yep. But Munson used to always ask him when he'd see him on the mound, how are you going to screw up this game tonight? <laughs> that's what he used to tease the Goose with. You know, and, and it's, that's what you remember. But that's how he was. Remember what I said? He wants, to, he, he wants you to give him your best. Yeah. And he knew if he ticked Goose off, Goose would. Yeah. If he did it to me, Catfish, Gullet, uh, you had to coddle Figueroa. You had to kind of coddle, you know, some of our other younger guys, Beatty, Clay. You had to kind of, you know, you had to, you had to get them to want to trust you. On August 2nd every year, do you... Does it just pop into your head? Does somebody have to tell you that it's August 2nd, or do you just kind of look uh, yeah, at the date no, somewhere? Yeah, they don't have to tell me. Yeah. Are all these things that pop into your head on August second uh, every year? You know, I always try just to remember the fun times. I don't, I don't, I don't like thinking about the phone call. I don't like thinking about the flights. I don't like thinking about the other stuff. I try not to. Yeah. I just try to think about the good things. You know, pitching to him, um, 
uh, watching him hit, you know, I, I remember that the, uh, I remember that big home run he hit in the playoffs that year off of Doug Burt in the Monuments mm-hmm. uh, in '78 against Kansas City. You know, you're losing the game. He hadn't hit a home run like in two months, and he hits this mammoth home run into the Monuments in, in center field. Um, I remember him throwing out, uh, I think, Willie Wilson um, at third base or Amos Otis at third base against Kansas City in one of the games at Yankee Stadium. I, I think it might have been the championship game. I'm not sure in 78. Mm-hmm. But you remember little things that he did that were great that brings a smile to your face. You know, that's what I try to remember. I don't, I don't like trying to think about the other stuff. Munson's legacy has remained alive and well in New York. Diana Munson, Thurman's widow, returns at least twice every year. Once in February for the Thurman Munson Awards Dinner, which has raised millions of dollars over the last four decades for AHRC, the Association for the Help of Retarded Children. And she returns every summer for Old Timers Day at the stadium, where she remains a member of the Yankees' royal family. Munson's legacy remains so strong in the clubhouse that Jorge Posada used to keep a yellowed newspaper clipping featuring a Munson quote in his locker and took very seriously the responsibility of being behind the plate every year on August 2nd, the anniversary of Munson's death. My thanks to Ron Guidry for sharing his stories and thoughts on what is still a very hard day to relive. And for another perspective, check out my story on WFAN.com about Jerry Naren, the man who had one of the hardest jobs in baseball history. He was the catcher for the Yankees in the game following Munson's death in 1979. If you've missed my recent conversations with Hall of Famers Mariano Rivera and Mike Messina or any other episodes, please check out the 30 with Murdy archive on radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and review. And until next time, thank you for listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.